everybody. Welcome back to Less Doing Podcast. And uh, as with last time, we have Aaron again. Hey, Ari. It's great to be back with you again. Yeah. So uh, if anybody's watching this now, you can see Aaron is in his car. We, uh, you know, sometimes we have to we have to change our circumstances to get the podcast on. I am currently in my wife's yoga studio because there is construction being done in my office. So we're 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 still bringing you great content, regardless. Exactly. Yeah. So what, so what have you been working on this week, Ari? You know, so I uh, I have been. I'm always kind of interested in like sleep hacking, obviously. Um, but uh, we had my wife's sister and her husband staying with us for a few months while they were building their house. So we they, they moved out about a week ago, and so we we kind of got our house back to ourselves. And one of the results of that was that the kids got to go back into their rooms, and and we sort of getting back into a normal sleeping pattern. So we have. Noise. We had noise machines in the in the babies' rooms that I kind of use sometimes, but and not others. And uh, they definitely work. They definitely help if you have a kid that needs to sleep and you don't want to make noise. But there's actually some research to show that white noise is bad for babies' intelligence later on. Like it's kind of like overloading. Right. Okay. But you got three kids, two dogs. Like there's noise in the house. You got to do something. So I came up with a solution. Um, we have the Sonos system. You know Sonos, the music, the music system. I'm not familiar. So Sonos is like it's just a wireless uh, speaker system, hi-fi system for your house. But you can basically you have a, you have an app, and you can control any speaker individually. You can stream, you know, Pandora or YouTube or, or whatever you want, and uh, it becomes like this sort of integrated sound system in the house. But uh, oh, nice. so we put one speaker in each of the kids' rooms. And I can play a rain track, uh, which which is great. And it's not white noise. It's it's really it's much more natural sound. But what I like is that I'll put it on when we put them down to sleep. You know, so if there's some noise or something, and then if we have friends over or something, I can just pop them right back on the the sound from wherever I am. Uh, if one of them wakes up in the middle of the night, I can put all of their sound on um, so that I can go like, you know, one of us can go feed the baby or something and not have to wake everybody up. But basically, they're being exposed to that noise for, you know, 15 minutes at a time or something. It's 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 cool. So, uh, so it's sort of a hack. Um, it's definitely made things more efficient. And uh, I think it's a pretty good solution. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, Ari, you don't seem like the type who gets a lot of sleep because working with you this past week, I've gotten some emails from you. At like 11 at night, and then sometimes at like 5 in the morning, you'll respond to me. How, do, how much sleep are you getting these days? Uh, so I think on average, I probably get six hours, uh, okay. so, solid six hours. But um, I'm one of those people who, it's if I get like four solid hours, and then I can go back to sleep for even an hour or two, I'm good. Uh-huh. But as long as I get like one four-hour chunk, I, 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 tend to be, I tend to be pretty okay. So okay. yeah, and and my day generally starts around five in the morning. Eleven o'clock is more unusual for me. I, I tend to go to sleep usually around ten or so, but um, uh-huh. five o'clock is when the day usually starts. Cool. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention this week. One of which is that I got Ben Greenfield's new book, uh, Beyond Training, which is awesome. Um, nice. He sent me a review copy. I don't think it's out quite yet. It's coming out later in the month, but it is really, really cool. Um, it's basically about how you can hack your body and your sleep and recovery and stress, and it touches on productivity. And it's 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 like a, a, a tome. It's 500 pages, I think. It's a it's a hardcover book. It's real great. And what I love is like I'm looking at chapters, and there's subjects that you know I know about. 
and it's like the recovery chapter. I see this thing, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, he's probably going to talk about this, this, and literally, like everything I could possibly think of is in the book. It's so awesome, and I really recommend people check it out. And if you go to beyondtrainingbook.com, he's got some really great deals up there for um, if you buy multiple copies of the book and stuff. So uh, that's my little shout out to Ben, who is now, awesome anyway. Now, last week you mentioned an app, I think it was called Blinkist, that breaks long books down into shorter works so that you can consume them in, in small portions. Um, what do you recommend for people who are uh, taking on a huge 500-page book like this? Yeah, so that's a good question. You know, so fortunately, the way that Ben laid it out, it, you can basically use it as reference. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't expect somebody actually to sit down and read through the whole book. You know, I, I think that it's you can look at the subject headings, which he he really laid it out very well. It's like you know, twenty six ways to optimize your recovery. You know, or like forty easy meals for a busy executive. Like you can you kind of get what the chapter's about. So I think that as like a reference material it, it, it really works very well for whatever you're trying to attack at that moment so mm -hmm. uh, but I, i'm glad that you mentioned blinkist so i love blinkist and i had committed to reading one book a week and i think i'm reading like six a week right now thanks to blinkist wow yeah and uh it's awesome i just read the art of happiness yesterday by the dalai lama and uh i reread you are not so smart by uh by Dave McCraney. And mm -hmm. basically I, I love it. So I'm going to be interviewing the founder of that company in a couple of weeks, which we'll, we'll be talking about that. But, uh, Blinkist is going to be doing my book. So they'll have a, which I can't wait to see the, you know, the 15 minute version of my book. And oh, that's very cool. And okay. I just curated a collection for Blinkist. So there will be like the Ari Mizell recommended books for optimizing your life. So that's going to be there too. And about, I'd say three weeks or so from the time this podcast comes out. That's very cool. And I hear your, your book's going to be up on Audible as well, which I love listening to books on audio. Yeah, so that was cool too. I, the, uh, I found out that that I – I saw that on Amazon, and I see that the, the person who read it is named Sean Pratt. So I looked him up, and he's got a, he's got a cool voice. I'm always, I was always curious about that, like who they're going to get to do it. So uh, uh -huh. I, I can't wait to hear it. You know, it's not available yet, and I can't, I can't get a preview of it. So I really want to see what that sounds like. Uh, and it was cool too because one of the feedback – one of the big feedbacks I've been getting from people is that the book is a really easy read. It's a very, you know, as far as productivity goes, like it's easy to read it. Um, it's 124 pages. So the audio book is two hours and 15 minutes. So that's, I think that's a pretty good, you know, efficient yeah. chunk of time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, that'll be great for like a long run or something for me. But uh, what about Rooster? I, I, you were also trying to get in uh, some nonfiction or no fiction. Fiction. How's that yeah. going for you? Great. So I finished Billy Budd, which is the Herman Melville book, which again, I, I said this last time, but it's, it's challenging to read a book like that. Um, it's just, I had to reread things like three times sometimes just to get what they were saying. And also it would take like a paragraph to say something that I think nowadays you would say with like six words. Uh, but I think that's really good. It's really, you know, stretching your mind and that sort of, it, it's really important to challenge your brain that way. So it was good. I really, it, it was really enjoyable. Now I'm reading one and I actually don't remember the name of it because I just started it, but it's basically with Rooster, they deliver a, uh, contemporary, not a contemporary fiction book and a classic, uh, fiction book every month. So now I'm, I'm tackling the, the contemporary one, which is going a lot faster. Great. Um, so, you know, in addition to so the book, my book came out on Audible and Kindle at the same time. So you guys can get it on Kindle now if you want. And they have this, I actually have never done this, but have you ever done the whisper sync thing that they have? 
Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Is How that where that it work? syncs the audio? Yeah, yeah. You can be listening to the audio book, but then if you want to kind of relax at night and and listen to the the textbook or read the textbook, it'll sync up your spot. So that is really cool. Oh, great. Okay, I never I didn't realize that. So you just wherever you click off on the audio book, then you open Kindle and it's right there. Exactly. Yeah. That's very smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another thing that I wanted to mention also is our my friends at idonethis.com, which is I done this is have you been using I done this at all? I haven't used that yet. Okay, so I done this is the website that lets you it sends you an email at the end of the day around six o'clock and it says, you know, what did you get done today? Mm. And all you do is write back and so it's a little bit of a journaling application. And I found it to be really powerful with a lot of people who don't do journaling and I'm one of those people. Uh What's cool about it is that it starts to change the email and it'll come back and say, what did you get done today? Oh, and by the way, this is what you did yesterday. And oh, this is what you did three weeks ago. The day was this. And it's really, it's really interesting to see that. So the people that I done this are, have come out with their first ebook, which is the busy person's guide to the, to the done list, basically. And, and it dispels the myth of the to-do list, which I'm very much in agreement with that the to-do list is a terrible thing. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out as well. Why are you so against to-do lists, just for people who haven't listened to all the other shows? So to-do lists are the opposite of productivity. Without going into a huge, <laughs> long explanation, uh, there's, a, there's a whole psychology behind this and something called the Zigarnik effect. But basically, it, we don't multitask well. Like We just really don't. You need to be able to single task. And the problem with the to-do list is that you look at this list of things that you can't do right now. And you can't do them right now because either they're too big a project or you're waiting on someone else or whatever it might be. And all that list does is show you everything you're not getting done. And then your mind just goes into this like haywire state where it's, it's cognitive dissonance. You know, you're trying to make like a right from two wrongs and you just, you can't do it. So the to-do list just shuts down productivity. Cool. Um, did you? Uh, did, was there anything from the, uh, the the interesting week links of the week last week that you thought were cool? Because I, I was excited about a couple. Yeah, I saw the. I think it's called Mod Notebooks, and yeah, they're, the it's one. like a notebook that you can turn into a. Di- you can send it in, and they'll digitize it for you. That seemed pretty cool. So I'm glad you asked about that one because that was my, the first one actually that I was really excited about. So, you know, I, I recommend Evernote heavily for people a lot. I think Evernote is just great, and it's a free service, but. There still are a lot of people who really prefer pen to paper. And, you know, they, they either it's just a preferencing or depending on what they do or where they're doing it. You know, sometimes it's not appropriate to pull out a phone, you know, or an iPad and write down a note and it just doesn't look right. So mm-hmm. usually most settings you can take out a little notebook and, and write down what you're thinking. And uh, the Mod Notebook company, basically you, you fill it up with doodles or your notes or whatever you want. And then when you're done... It basically has like the postage built into it on the back of it, and you just send it in, and they digitize it, and then it can go into Evernote. So I like it for two reasons. One, I think it makes the note-taking thing very accessible to more people. But there's something about finishing the notebook and then sending it in. So you could almost, for one thing, you could have different notebooks for different settings. So maybe you have a notebook at your bedside, and maybe you have a notebook in your desk at work. But Getting a whole like month's worth of notes or however long it takes you to fill it out at one time, I think is I think there's something kind of cool that it's an interesting way to see the progression. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that you put in there that was pretty cool is dark chocolate might actually have some beneficial uh, effects on your gut. Yeah. So 
I, this is funny. So one of the things they're doing is a study where they've created this super concentrated dark chocolate pill, basically, which sounds like it's taking all the pleasure out of eating chocolate. But uh, <laughs> basically, they're they're like supercharging it and super concentrating to see what effect it has on people's, uh, I think, on cardiac disease and then on on leaky gut and and obviously the microbes in your gut. And chocolate, many people may not realize, but chocolate is a fermented food, so. It is a, a prebiotic in that way, and it basically gives beneficial bacteria something to eat, which helps them then produce sort of anti-inflammatory compounds. So there's there's a lot of evidence to say that dark chocolate really will help with your inflammatory conditions. Uh, it definitely will help with mood. They, you know, it has uh, the ability to release dopamine and all sorts of other pleasure things like oxytocin. What you have to realize is that not all dark chocolate is is alike and a lot of chocolate because it is a fermented food has the ability to take on mold toxins also known as mycotoxins and you really need to get a high mm. quality dark chocolate when you do it and it should be 85% cocoa or higher because otherwise it's just going to be fillers and sugar and other stuff so uh lint chocolate actually is a really good brand Okay, but uh, I I don't do chocolate bars typically. I usually get the there's this company called Navitas Naturals, and I get either the raw cacao nibs or just the raw cocoa powder. And I'll put those in a smoothie, or sometimes I'll put it in a, a cup of coffee or something. But the cacao nibs are delicious. They're crunchy and they have some really interesting taste elements in them. And the other thing, by the way, about dark chocolate is it's a really good source of magnesium. Okay, so magnesium is one of those supplements that people usually don't get enough of and you don't see it in a lot of multivitamins because it you need a lot of it it's not a very dense nutrient so if you were to take it as a vitamin you have to take like seven or eight pills typically so uh, a good magnesium supplement usually is powdered because then you can have a you know like a tablespoon of it and mix it in and be okay with it but uh, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of magnesium in dark chocolate and i usually have this sort of chocolate pudding thing which i've written about on the blog a, a little a few weeks ago and i'll have that uh, at the end of dinner, and I find that it's very relaxing in a lot of ways, which is unusual because uh, chocolate has theobromides in it, which is also sort of a stimulant and, and some caffeine as well. But it doesn't affect my sleep. I find that I sleep better when I have like a little bit of dark chocolate before bed. And is there any sugar in that brand that you're buying? No, it's it's it is pure raw cocoa powder. And the the nibs are literally there. It's the it's the chocolate bean that's been like chopped up. Okay, so it's a interesting nice crunch to it. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, uh, so the interview today did you did you get a chance to check out Mason Curry? I didn't get a chance to check that one out yet. Okay, so Mason Curry wrote this book called Daily Rituals, and he basically did some pretty exhaustive research on I think 160 different creative people throughout time and the daily rituals that they went through. And it's, it's really kind of fascinating to see what the effect those has, sort of how people come up with their daily rituals, how they stick with them and, 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 and why. And uh, one of the common factors, which you'll see this in an interview, but one of the common ones is uh, long walks seem to be a big one for mm. people. Uh, Gustav Mahler, the, the composer, used to take like four-hour walks and then he would sit down and write pieces. So... Really? I don't know how efficient that is necessarily, but you know, <laughs> if you find something that works, sometimes you got to stick with that. 
Yeah. Do you have any specific rituals that you try to keep every day? I was just going to ask you that. Uh, you know, I mean, we both have kids, right? So it's a little tough yeah. sometimes because as soon as you get a ritual, then they change. Um, but typically, my ritual is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's tough. You know, I, I, my, this goes into the whole choose your own work week, which is one of my, my fundamentals of less doing. But on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at least, when one of my sons is at daycare and the other two have a nanny here helping us, uh, that's when I sort of get in this routine where, between 9 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., I'm, I'm working, you know, pretty, pretty hard. And this is one of those, those uh, times basically doing recordings, meetings, calls, all that kind of stuff. The, the more routine for me is at night, I think. Usually, almost every night now, 8.30 or 9 o'clock or so, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll try to write something. And that's mm -hmm. sort of, I, I feel like that sort of, like, resets me for the end of the day and sort of sets my mind up for the next day. So... You know, rituals can come anytime, but what about you? Coffee is a big one. I love coffee in the morning. Uh, it's just kind of a, a nice time to slow down and, and take a sip of that bitter drink. Uh, lately, one thing that I've been adding to my coffee is um, a, a gelatin, like a grass-fed gelatin, and that's supposed to be really beneficial for your gut. And I'll add a little butter in there, too, which is also beneficial for your gut. And uh, I know that both of us, you've had Crohn's, and then I, I've dealt with uh, some pretty severe IBS, and that seems to really just help strengthen the integrity of my gut. What kind of gelatin are you using? Are you using collagen or are you using gelatin? Uh, it's a, it's a grass-fed, it's a mixture of collagen and gelatin. You buy it on Amazon. I think it's called Great Lakes. Okay. And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. It, it doesn't change the taste of the coffee at all, but sure. uh, uh, it just gives you some extra nutrition, and it kind of makes it a little frothy if you blend it up. Yeah, so one thing for people to know about that, which it's great, uh, collagen is, you know, what makes our skin and our nails and our hair so so strong, and it's, it's really, it helps with wrinkles and, and really healthy aging and cell production. Uh, collagen is heat-stable, so it's actually a really good protein to put in coffee, uh, whereas whey protein can actually denature if you put it into coffee, and, and you lose the effect, and it actually might make the coffee taste really bad. So that's, okay. a, that's a good one. Cool. Uh, so cool. Well, uh, you have anything else to add before we go into the interview? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to remind everybody, if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback or go to the blog and leave your comments there. It's, it's always nice to hear from people. Yeah, thanks. And, and I, I'd love to get to a place now where we're, we're actually going to be answering some questions on the podcast if people want to ask them. So uh, great. Aaron, nice to talk to you as always. And uh, yeah. I hope everyone enjoys the interview. Great talking to you too, Ari. So now I'm speaking with Mason Curry, who is the author of Daily Rituals. So Mason, thank you so much for speaking with me. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So what got you interested in Daily Rituals? That's the first question. Well, uh, you know, the book project actually started in a um, bout of procrastination on my own part. I um, Several years ago, I was working for a magazine in New York, and I went into the office on a Sunday afternoon to try to write a story that was due the next day. And um, as often happens to me when I, when I put things off until the afternoon, um, I was having a hard time buckling down getting this thing and getting the story written. Um, I'm really more of a morning person and tend to get things done uh, better when I, when I get started early. So okay. this particular day, I started searching the internet for stories about other uh, writers who, like me, tend to work best uh, first thing in the morning. Um, so basically, <laughs> I, was, I was avoiding doing the story by kind of looking around for stories that uh, kind of reinforced this uh, habit of my own. 
And, um, you know, I've always been fascinated by stories about how uh, writers and other creative people kind of schedule their day. And um, it occurred to me that, you know, somebody should put all these stories in one place. So um, I started a, a blog collecting these anecdotes. Uh, I started it that very afternoon. <laughs> and then um, after a couple of years, I had the opportunity to um, expand the idea into the book. So it's it, first of all, I love that that it came out of your own procrastination. I love when things sort of come from places that people would not expect. So that's cool to begin with. Um, <laughs> the thing that struck me because I, I I read through the book and I really I really really enjoyed it. And the thing that struck me is I'm almost shocked that people shared these rituals. Like that you could even <laughs> I'm I'm like amazed that you could even find the information. You know, like. Um, the, the guy who would, um, fondle his male configurations, <laughs> who, who was that? Yeah, that was, uh, Thomas Wolf, the, the author. Yeah, who <laughs> and, who um, writes that? Like who, isn't that who crazy? shares that, that? Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Well, the funny thing about that, I mean, to back up for, for your listeners who yeah. don't know the story, um, he, the story about Thomas is he was, um, working at a hotel room one evening and he was kind of blocked. He was trying to get into the right spirit to get some writing done and nothing was working and he was he was kind of like looking out the window and he was about to give up and just go to bed. And then all of a sudden he kind of had this burst of inspiration and sat down and started writing. And he realized that the thing that kind of got him back into the writing spirit was that he was, had been kind of unconsciously like fondling himself. <laughs> and so he wrote in a letter to his editor, uh, you know, like this is my brilliant productivity trick is that I sort of fondle myself and then this gets the creative juices flowing. <laughs> uh, so, That's so <laughs> he claimed it was in, in a non-sexual way. Um, so yeah, that's a funny one because it's amazing that he would he would kind of brag about that in a letter to his editor. Um, but, so yeah, that's one of my favorites too. But um, in terms of finding the others, it, it was a lot of just kind of combing through uh, these figures' diaries and letters, and um, you know any material where they kind of talked about their personal lives and trying to piece together these um, these stories. Well, okay, so the, so the first, I mean, well, not the first, but the, so the the thought that comes to mind then is is how accurate do you think all of it is since it, you know some of it's self-reported i feel like especially artists and creatives have you know that that tendency to sort of aggrandize things a little bit so it's like the the the, the long long walks for instance that was gustav Mahler, right uh yeah Mahler was one of the several people who took really long walks every day right but see it's, it's like, i feel like that's the kind of thing where you could be like uh, you know it's a half an hour walk but you know in your mind's eye it was a four-hour walk you know so i i just i, I I'm not, not not questioning it per se. It's just I, I think that the interpretation of it is as interesting as the the ritual itself. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, there's definitely some self mythologizing on the part of a lot of famous uh, artists and creative people. I you know I tried to cut through the sort of legends and, and pre present information that I felt was accurate as much as possible. Um, like the Mahler story, that actually comes from a memoir by his wife um, about their life together. Uh, so I feel like the stories about his long walks are from her perspective and are probably pretty accurate. Um, but there are cases where people talk about their working process and you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. And, and like you say, it's almost, uh, you know, the way that they talk about it is in some ways you know, tells you as much about the creative process as maybe more so than if you actually had an accurate, um, an accurate accounting of it. Yeah. And on, I mean, you said it better than I did, but that, that's my point actually, is that almost like the, the, the way they interpret it, the way that they see that whole process is part of the process. And that's what we can learn from. So I know, I think that's really cool. Uh, so what was the, in your mind was the strangest 
that you saw, or uh, give me one or two that you thought were the real strangest ones. I think the, the strangest one was was this German, this 19th century German poet and historian playwright named Rick Schiller. And um, he said that he needed to keep a drawer full of rotting apples in his workroom because he needed the um, decaying smell in order to feel the urge to write. Okay. And, uh, that's so that's, that's probably the weirdest. Unfortunately, I don't have any, that's sort of like this one crazy detail. And I, you know, it's like one of those things you wish you knew more. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, um, so th- that actually leads in really well to my, my next question, which is how do you, maybe, maybe you learn this along the way, but how do you think people go about finding their daily ritual, you know, and, and, and you know, in your own life, maybe you've, you've discovered some of that too, but that's something that people always find. I mean, they always find that that seems to be an issue sometimes is that they'll, they'll listen to what someone else does or they'll follow a recommendation, but finding your own daily ritual sometimes is a complete accident. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I think it really, you know, varies from circumstance to circumstance. I, I think, I mean, I hope what the book shows is that all of these people kind of evolved a way of working that suited their temperament and the, uh, kind of the obstacles in their life. So people had jobs or family commitments or they had illnesses or they found that they could only work in the middle of the night or in the early morning. And they kind of arranged their lives in order to, um, you know, deal with these various obstacles and, and, and make sure that their creative work was being put first. And so I think you have to kind of treat your, your own schedule as kind of a, an opportunity or a tool, you know, and like, look at what, what are the things you have to get done and what are the most important and, and, and when do you work best and then try to, uh, create a a daily routine that sort of, you know, that does that as best as you can. And, and, And sometimes that ends up being a sort of quirky thing. You know, some people find that they work best after midnight and they have to, uh, create a daily routine that seems sort of crazy to a normal person. But, you know, I think that's totally legitimate. You know, that's really funny. So that's such an interesting way of putting it. So for, for me, who, you know, I, I have to write for what I do and for my blog and for my book and stuff, but I, I never consider myself a writer. And I, I don't think that I'm a particularly good writer. It's very difficult for me to do it. So I have found that the only time that I can write uh, creatively, at least, is after nine o'clock at night. And it, it, you know, it's so funny. I'm, it, it could be that I just write better after nine o'clock at night, or it could be that the routine of taking a bath with my two-year-old son and then putting him to bed with a story and then, you know, having a cup of tea, which is just something I do. Maybe that's what actually makes it so that I can write. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's interesting how the ritual can sort of like, you can sort of walk yourself into the headspace where you can finally focus. I, I think that that's very true. Were, were there were there any common themes that you found? I mean, because you looked at people from many different times of uh, or, or eras, rather, uh, you know, and and different. I mean, most uh, creatives, but in, in different areas. So, were there some common themes that you sort of found, or things that that work for a lot of people? Yeah, there are a few. I mean, people always kind of ask, like, what's the, what's the big takeaway? Like, what's the perfect daily routine? <laughs> and, and there and there isn't really one perfect one. You know, I show the huge variety of ways that people. Um, found to to get their work done and, and to sort of be creative on a daily basis but you know that said there were definitely some common themes um taking walks was a big one and um I walk every day there there really does seem to be 
a lot of value to um, the way that walking uh, or other kind of similar exercise like gets your brain moving in a productive manner and, and helps you kind of work through creative problems. Um, so, so that was one. Um, there's also an awful lot of coffee drinking uh, in the book. So uh, people who are coffee drinkers can can feel secure in that habit. And if, if you're not a coffee drinker, you might want to think about picking it up. It really does seem to stimulate new ideas and, um, you know, kind of, it, it's interesting. I feel like the coffee thing, uh, both at a, on a chemical level, it, it seems to be useful as sort of a mild stimulant. But I think that the actual ritual of making the coffee is kind of a perfect uh, thing for a lot of creative people. It's like just long enough that you break away from much and there's just kind of enough uh, tinkering with it that, that it's kind of a perfect little uh, daily ritual so that, that's a that's a cool one because um like uh, dave asprey the bulletproof executive guy who talks about how the he always likes to pour over method of coffee because it makes mm. it makes him stop for a couple minutes to slowly pour the water in and like he actually slows down and does it so that's uh that's very cool too. I, I like this because it's very, uh, I hate to use this word, but it's like very meta, you know, like you're, you're looking at it in sort of a grand scale of how everything kind of uh -huh. comes together. Yeah. I mean, it is and it isn't because it's like, it, there's this grand scale and all these different routines, but I think each one kind of stands on its own. I really do have a hard time coming up with like a grand theory or, or a big set of recommendations because I really think that each person each person's routine is is very individual and really kind of tailored to their particular set of uh, of you know habits and their situation and, and their temperament so um oh no no totally I, I mean within, yeah. within the individual routine itself actually is that there's so much that goes into it it's not just a matter of like do this then do this then do this okay now you can uh -huh. be creative it's like the act of doing this may lead to the ability to under, you know, it, 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 it is like a whole cascading effect to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of hard. Uh, how much, you know, how much the ritual is enabling the creativity and how much it's just sort of a, you know, like it's true. It's, it's sort of hard to unravel where, where the ritual starts and, and where it, it's like what, how much of it is necessary and how much of it is sort of um, just going through the motions. Right. Okay. So that, that actually brings it up another nice point for me. So, you know, we have these things that are in our sort of mental processes called heuristics, which is basically our brain's way of being lazy and sort of shortcutting things. Right. So there, I'm always looking at ways of making things more efficient and yeah, there's probably a more efficient way to get into a creative mode than to take, you know, a four hour walk or something or a three hour walk. But right. you know, it's, it's almost like if it works, don't, mess with it but then yeah, at the same time it, it it does require almost a little bit of a lack of self-awareness to mm -hmm. to just sort of go with the flow accept it as is and then not really challenge it after that yeah there seems to be a lot in this book of like people stumbling upon something that works and then not wanting to mess with it too much because you know you really get the sense that doing sustained creative work is a sort of fragile thing most of the people in this book really uh, you know, struggle with getting good quality writing done or good quality uh, painting or composing done every day. You know, there's, it's, you're kind of like constantly, you can sort of get, get a hold of this thing and then you're afraid it's going to slip away. And so I think there is a lot of, of somewhat superstitious reliance on, um, you know, sticking with whatever managed to work for you in the past and, and not, uh, not losing, losing hold of this kind of fragile, uh, like grasp that you have on the process.
Sure. And now I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to push you into giving the, the you know, the, the big answer, but <laughs> no, but, but it, as far as men and women, did you see any kind of commonalities between men and women? Uh, you know, not really. I have to say, you know, the, I was looking at sort of the, the, the quote unquote great minds of the last few hundred years and, um, you know, in mostly in the arts in terms of, of writers and painters and composers and, and people along those lines, philosophers, and um, that's a largely male group. Um, yeah. I definitely wanted to get more women in here. And it, there's just, there's so many reams of books about some of these great male figures. You know, you could, you could probably write an entire book just about Hemingway's uh, routines and rituals because they've been talked about and he's talked about them so exhaustively. It was a real challenge to find as much material about women artists and like women composers. There's just not, there's just not as much um, biographical material on them so i don't really feel like i have a good handle on there being like a gender difference just because like i didn't i wasn't able to dig up as much material on women figures as i was with the men okay fair enough and then what about drugs and alcohol did you see that a lot yeah there was a fair bit of that i mean one of the surprises for me was um like going into the book, I you know I, I knew about people like Jack Kerouac or Hunter S. Thompson who kind of famously fueled their writing binges with amphetamines and speed. Um, uh, I I was really interested in this. There was a swath of um, early twentieth century writers who used amphetamines in a very um, methodical and almost kind of boring way. Um, you may have noticed some of these in the book, but there are figures like um, like the poet W.H. Auden took uh, a daily dose of amphetamines every morning, uh, the way a lot of people take a multivitamin. It was it was just like one of the, he he called it one of the um, one of the tools in the mental kitchen. It was like you know it was a, it was a way it was just like kind of an extra way to um, to to give yourself a little bit of focus and and just so there were other people like like that who used amphetamines to kind of just help themselves buckle down uh, on a daily basis. So that, that was surprising. So that was the, uh, the Adderall of the day, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there was a period there where um, some of these over, there were some over-the-counter amphetamines that weren't, uh, weren't highly controlled. So it, it was it, like, like Sartre, John Paul Sartre, the philosopher, um, was really into this one particular uh, mix of amphetamine and aspirin that was kind of like a fashionable drug among the, the intellectual crowd in Paris at that time. That's awesome. <laughs> it's great that there was a fashionable drug that included amphetamines. I think that's really funny. Well, the funny thing is that the the prescribed dose was I, I don't know if I have the facts exactly right. I think the prescribed dose was two tablets a day, and he would chew twenty a day. <laughs> he would just sort of chew on them as he was writing. And there's a great quote about how he felt like he felt like the ideas for his book were already in his head, you know, complete and. It was just a matter of kind of forcing his brain to crank them out onto the page and that for every one of these pills he, he chewed, at one of these tablets, it was like sort of one more half a page or so of work that he could grind out. So. And just get it out as fast as possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, okay. Um, well, so after, after doing this, you did over 300 people, right? Uh, no, no, about half that, about oh, 160 people. Okay, yeah. well, still, that's a lot. I mean, so... How, what's your daily routine? Uh, my daily routine. I mean, the you know, before I started working on the book, as I mentioned, I, I was really, I'm really more of a morning person, and um, for a long time, I would get up early <clears throat> only if I had some kind of deadline or or crunch period. Um, you know, so it was sort of a, 
something I did like in an emergency. Um, but when I started working on the book, I was also working full time. And the only way to really do the book and also work was to get up early every day. And um, so I got up at 5.30 in the morning uh, every weekday and worked on the book for two hours. And then I would like have breakfast with my wife and, and then go off to work and have like a normal nine to five day. Um, and then often in the evenings, I would go to the library to do research. Um, and the thing I found is that um, like getting up early every day really turned out to be like the saving grace of the whole project that it, even though I don't love having to get up early, like most people, um, I, I do find that that is my best working period. And so now that the book is done, I still get up at 5.30 or 6 um, pretty much every weekday because I feel like you know, what it taught me is that if that's the best time for me to work, I should really be taking advantage of it every day and not just during crunch periods or, or work emergencies. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, well, great. And, and do you, I mean, you feel like that's made you more efficient, obviously. <clears throat> yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like I often get more or, or better work done during that first couple of hours when I'm sort of still kind of groggy and drinking coffee and it's dark out than I do many times, you know, for the rest of the day. It's like those those first couple of hours are like the, the peak time for me. And I really try to put whatever my most important work is to, to work on that during that time and not squander it doing like email or, or dealing with kind of miscellaneous stuff. Well, and, and how much of that do you think is discipline versus having a ritual or, you know, like, or is it, I mean, maybe it's the same thing. It's a little bit of both, I think, because I don't really think of myself as that disciplined of a person. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, when I get up early, people are out, people always say to me like, "Oh, it's terrible. I hate getting up early. I'm really not a morning person." And I don't feel like I'm a morning person either in terms of being um, like, like wanting to talk to people or being particularly alert. I feel like sort of a groggy, half awake mess. But for whatever reason, I feel like my that is a good state for me to be in for focusing on one work task. And, um, so it, actually getting out of bed maybe requires some discipline, but in terms of working, <laughs> it's like, that's just the time when it flows more naturally for me. It's almost, I think, uh, you know, this is a way for me to minimize my effort in a way, because if I can get in a couple of hours first thing, then I get more done during the day and I don't have to do as much work during the parts of the day, like later in the afternoon when I have a really hard time concentrating. So, um, you know, I really think there's something to this idea that there's morning people and night people. And um, I, I do, you know, in the research, it seemed like most people had a portion of the day that was their best time. And so I really advocate for people kind of figuring out when their best work period is and then doing whatever it takes to arrange their schedules to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that's, I, and I like that because a lot of the things that I often do with my productivity system and people is, is really figuring out what the end result is sometimes and then working backwards and that's that's mm. pretty much what you're saying which is which is great because I, I feel like people sort of sometimes they'll just try one thing or another or they won't they'll just sort of just go with the flow and just sort of grind through it without really trying to tweak it to find that optimal time to do various things and it's not just creative work you know that you can get specifically like personally i found that i don't like making phone calls before noon i don't know why mm. but i just notice that I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not very into it, and I'm not very pleasant on the phone uh, before noon, and I don't get the same results. So you know, you try to arrange your schedule around that the best that you can. You learn these things. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting. I feel like there's some things where you kind of can't force it. You know, there seems to be there's a lot of people in the book who there's this tension between you know the work they're doing is difficult, 
and it requires a lot of concentration. And sometimes you just have to kind of grit your teeth and get through it. But at the same time, there, there's a point at which you're just spinning your wheels and you kind of have to find that sweet spot where, you know, it's still work, but it, you're in some kind of zone where it's, it's possible. And I feel like with a lot of people, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's easy to, to put in a lot of effort on things and not actually get a lot out of it. And you have to kind of figure out when, when the work you're doing is, is like yielding results and when you're just kind of punishing yourself or spinning your wheels, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that definitely makes sense. What's, what's the next project for you? Uh, you know, I don't know yet. I've been, um, I've been making a bunch of notes and, and I have a couple notebooks full of, uh, various ideas of various quality, mo- probably mostly bad ideas. Um, but I'm kind of trying to hone in on, uh, what the next book project is going to be, but I, I hope to get one figured out pretty soon. Okay. Well, so <laughs> one, one, no, that, you know, it, it's funny that you put it that way because I, uh, a huge part of this of what I do also is having people just get their ideas out, whether they're good or bad, because mm. a lot of times those the bad the quote unquote bad ones will lead to good ones. So, yeah, that's a good point. No, I, I um, it's like I I feel sort of hesitant about talking about things until <laughs> you get them kind of figured out. But um, there's definitely it seems to be some value in just following stuff to its to its conclusion. So the the last question that I always ask people on this podcast is, and I'm I'm really interested to hear your answers, is the the sort of top three tips for being as productive as you can be, or just just being as effective as you can be. What are the what are the top three? And it doesn't have to be from the book or anything. It's just you know in general in all of the things you've learned. You know what are the top three things that you recommend for being more effective? Mm, that's an interesting question. I, I think one of them is definitely, as I mentioned before, figuring out what time of day is your kind of magic hour or, or is, is the time of day when you have the best focus and, and you're most able to do whatever work it is that mo- that's most important to you. So I think that's number one. I, I think people really need to be self-aware about when they're like doing good work um, and, and if it is a particular time of day or a particular set of circumstances. Um, and I think number two is like having a daily routine that gives you that time every day. You know, I think it, it's, it can be a real challenge for a lot of people who have a lot of commitments, uh, if they have work commitments and family commitments, but I think, you know, being fairly ruthless about carving out some time for whatever your most important work is, uh, at the same time every day, if possible, that's two things. Um, the third thing, <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the third one is always the, the killer. Uh, I think, I mean, the thing that really struck me from the book is how much people persevered, you know, like looking back on these people, you know, we all know that Charles Darwin ended up, you know, coming up with the theory of evolution and it was this huge game changer and changed the way everyone thinks about the world and human and humans place in it. But like on a daily basis, you know, before the origin of the species came out, he was working really hard and had no clue if this was going to be if his work was going to amount to something. And that's true of a lot of people in the book. There, there are these huge spans of time when they're just kind of working and working and working and they have no recognition and some of them never had any recognition and certainly many of them didn't have financial success. So I, I think it's really just perseverance and kind of continuing to to do the work that, that you think is valuable um, even if it doesn't seem to be paying off on the short term. 
You know, I love that actually. I, I mean, I love all those, but I, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs on this show and everything, and no one's ever mentioned perseverance as as the one. So they, I really like that. So thank you oh, for that's sharing good. that. And, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, those are those are really good ones. So the the book is called Daily Rituals. is available everywhere, I assume. I mean, I got mine on Amazon, but I'm assuming it's available everywhere. Right. Yeah. 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 You should be able to get it anywhere. And uh, so, which I recommend everybody do. And then, what's uh, what's the best place people can find out more about you? You know, Twitter, URL, whatever you want. Yeah, uh, I have a personal website. It's masoncurry.com, and um, that links to my Twitter and Facebook and all the other stuff. Great. Well, Mason, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and sharing a little bit more about daily rituals with us. Hey. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great to talk. Mm-hmm. 